Well, good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, feeling good? I'll tell you what, God's got something good for us today. I know he's already worked in your heart. You can clap for that because uh, a lot of you are wanting to clap at the end of that last song. I saw you, but you couldn't get it in there, right? We're in this series on the life of Daniel. We're seeing these amazing things happen. I'm calling it unshakable. Because in the midst of the culture of his day, he was unshakable. He was taken as a prisoner of war at just 15 years of age. Last week, we saw this amazing dream interpretation that God gave him for the, for the king of basically the world at that time. Uh, when he's 17 years old. And we're going to be looking at a story that if you grew up in church, you might have heard about three boys in a fiery furnace and I've I've called uh, this whole series um, unshakable today you could pretty much call it unbakable maybe but uh, I'm excited what God has for us because what we're going to see is how to stand when the world turns up the heat and that's going to happen we're going to see that in fact it's interesting church in America Sometimes we have this tendency to like segment off our life. You know, this is our religious life. This is our work life. This is our home life, recreation life. And really it's supposed to carry through in everything that we do, this life with Jesus. So I want to talk to you about that. My dad used to say when I was growing up, what we believe we actually do, everything else is just religious talk and I will always remember that what you actually do is what you believe in the 1800s there was not television and there wasn't all the you know the internet and everything that we get sidetracked with now so the big events would be things that would happen in the local area magicians coming through and putting on shows or one of the greatest things that happened there was this guy by the name of Blondine. He was from France. He was a tightrope walker. And he walked 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls. From the Canadian side to the American side. And he would do it every day. And people began to come out. He, he started doing it with stunts and things. He did it on, crut, on, uh, on stilts one time. Crutches, I started to say. He did it on stilts one time. He, he one time cooked an egg and made an omelet out in the middle of the, just sat on the wire and made a breakfast. One time he carried across a wheelbarrow in, in front of him with 350 pounds of concrete in it. And the crowds would just go crazy. They just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The day that he carried the concrete across in the wheelbarrow, Everybody on the American side was just screaming as loud as they could. You're the great Blondine, the great Blondine. And he got to the other side and there was one really enthusiastic fan. He dumped out the concrete and he goes, you're the great Blondine. He said, you think that I could do that over and over? He said, you could do that a million times. I believe in you. I believe in you. He said, you believe in me? I believe in you. Get in the wheelbarrow. And the whole crowd just quieted down and listened as that poor guy began to stutter and come up with all these reasons why he couldn't get in the wheelbarrow. 
and he didn't. I think sometimes that that's a little bit like our Christian faith. You know, we're, we're, we're going, God, I, I, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. And then there comes time when it just begins to clash with the culture of our day. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, you believe in me? Well, it's time to put up or shut up, right? It's time to get in the wheelbarrow. If you believe in me, this is going to cost you. And that's what we see in the life of these guys. I want you to pull out your sermon notes. We're going to find out how to keep standing when the culture and the world turns up the heat. You know, they did this big sociological study on premarital sex a few years back. And they studied two groups of men, 18 to 23. What The first group that they studied was men... University educated, had grown up in a family that didn't really have much of a Judeo-Christian ethic in the United States. That they, they weren't believers, they weren't in church. And so basically their idea of premarital sex was, you know, that's normal, it's going to happen and it's all good. And, and they found out that in that age group, 18 to 23, 20% of those men were virgins. Then they did a study of those that had grown up in church and those who whose families were really strong, that premarital sex is outside of God's plan. And, and they were university educated, 18 to 23. You know what they found? 20% of those guys were virgins. It, it, it's, it, it's like there was virtually no difference inside or outside of the church. And, and because... We've been so influenced by culture and our belief doesn't influence our behavior. So let's talk a little bit about that. In this passage, we see Daniel is really high up now in the kingdom. Fifteen years have passed since last week's message. They're in their mid-thirties, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had come as prisoners of war. Now they're ruling over Babylon. Because of what happened last week and Daniel interpreting this dream. Daniel's not in this story. He must be out of town. He was probably sent as an emissary to, to someone or, or some other place. And so he's not in the, this picture. But we're going to see what happens when Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king of his age. He always had trouble with his ego. There will come another message. We're going to talk about that. But we would see he, he kept having trouble with his ego and, and so here's what happened let's look at it Daniel chapter 3 you can look on the screen or turn in your Bible there to Daniel chapter 3 King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide that's a lot of gold isn't it and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon then he sent messages to the high officers officials governors advisors treasurers judges magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up so all of these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. I don't know what a zither is, but it sounds really good, doesn't it? The lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. 
Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Wow, that's kind of inconvenient, isn't it? It's just like, okay, you came to the dedication and all of a sudden now it's like turned into this worship thing. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, I've been king long enough and I'm tired of just being king. Now I want to be God. I want to be God to you. So I'm going to be your God. I want you to worship me. That's been mankind's problem since the very beginning. You remember what Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, does God really love you? I mean, he said you can't eat this. You know why he doesn't want you to eat this fruit from this tree? He knows your eyes will be opened and you will be God. You'll be like God. You'll be like a God. Well, that sounded good to them. It sounded good to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he had set up this, this gold statue. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Before we go any further this morning, I just want to point out to you that although this happened 2,500 years ago, it's relevant today because we have things in our culture, in Western culture, that we hold up still as gods. In fact, write this down there in your sermon notes. The world still creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. The world still creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. We don't put up 90-foot statues anymore. But what about what we've done in America with sex? We've elevated it to this place that's like a god it's like this gift that God gave to us. We have elevated it to this place where it's unsustainable. Where it can't measure up to, because it, we've made it like God. God likes status. What about fame? I don't know if there's ever been another time in history that people were famous for being famous. Like we have in America today. I mean, think about it. Kim Kardashian, just for example. What does she do? What has she done? Uh, she's just famous for being famous, you know. And so fame has become this thing. If we can just attain to it, and all of us are taking our selfies and hoping they'll go viral, you know, and we'll get all these followers and whatever it takes. Make a sex tape. Do whatever it takes. It's what we hear, right? But get all of these followers. Get fame. We've made it like God. Celebrity. We've elevated our celebrities. We, we love celebrity. In, in, the, in the United States. We love to read about them. We've got like us weekly. They're not really us. They're them. But us sounds good, right? And people and all these other things. And it's all the gossip and the dirt. And everything that's going on around us. And we love to pull them down a little bit, you know. But celebrity, we've elevated them so much that now celebrities, they, they feel like they know everything. Have you noticed that? You know, you'd be like, wow, you're a really good actor. But. I don't know if you know how to run the world. I don't know how that works, right? And, and they're always giving us advice and, and, and things on, on, on what to do and how to live. Youth, staying young, that's another one of those things. Power. If you've been watching everything play out this past week, power plays like crazy, right? And it's, and it's just gotten ugly and it's like whatever it takes to, to have power or to get power or to hold power. And... And they're not statues on a plane, but people are worshiping 
like they're worthy uh, of being God. So they bow down to them. Secondly, write this down. If I reject the world's idols and images, people will try to burn me. That's just true. Not physically in a furnace, but they'll burn you in other ways, right? If everybody's saying, hey, this is what culture thinks. This is the group think of the day. And, you know, we're going to be super, super tolerant unless, you know, you're not tolerant or whatever, you know. And, and, and it's just like we've got all of these things going on. And if you say something and say, well, I was thinking maybe what about this? You're going to get burned sometimes, right? If you don't go along with the culture of the day. And that's exactly what's happening here. I mean, what we're going to find is some other people come about these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bow down. Can you just imagine? Everybody else is bowed. They're standing up. And so the other people around them, their co-workers, if you will, go and tattle on them. I mean, wow, that's a lot of loyalty, right? Why did they do that? Well, maybe it was racism. Maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced that. And if you have, I'm so sorry. Maybe it was anti-Semitism because they were Jewish guys. Maybe they were just jealous because they were foreigners and gotten promoted and they wanted their job. I don't know what it was, but these guys went and said, you know, they burned them. It's what they actually did. In fact, let's read about it. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. Which is how you always start out, right? When you address the king. Which I don't think you would say like, hope you don't live long, king. Because you wouldn't live long. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods. They do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So they went and they burned them. Then number three, doing the right thing always makes some people angry. Did you know that? If you do the right thing, it's going to make some people angry. Sometimes people think, if I could just be perfect, if I could just be so much like Jesus, everyone would love me. Do you remember what they did to him? See, he was perfect, but he still stood up against evil he still spoke out against self-righteousness he still and, and they hated him and they crucified him and so what we see these guys are challenging the king's narcissism and and his wanting to be God and they're basically saying there's a line in the sand that we're not going to cross one of the reasons why I told you this is because there are three kinds of people in the world and you need to know that there are people who are stuck up that was Nebuchadnezzar he said worship me I'm the king and narcissist and then there are, are people who kiss up that was the other ones the astrologers and you know people like that that are always kissing up to the boss or whatever and then there are those that stand up and that was these three guys but it was only three guys I want you to imagine four or five thousand people out on this plane the the zither starts zithering you know and, and and whatever that sounds like and everybody falls on their face except these three guys it's kind of kind of lonely you know so why don't they bow down 
because God's given them some commands and they are wanting to obey them. In fact, in God's top 10, in the Ten Commandments, in the book of Exodus, God says this, you shall have no other gods before me. If you put anything in front of me, that's a God. And if you, so even today we can do that. We can put our boyfriend in God's place or, 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 or we can put our job or we can put our money or we can put all kinds of different things in front of God. And he says, don't ever do that. And he also says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below and you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In fact, that's exactly what had just happened to the Jewish people. They had been worshiping other gods and that's why these guys were in Babylon because God said, okay, judgment time is coming and I'm telling you it's coming, it's coming. Turn back to me through all the prophets and they didn't do it and pretty soon Babylon came through just tore the, the city apart and took these guys captive. And they knew that. So they were paying in some sense for the sins of their parents. They were just teenagers. They were just young men at that time. Is, is it still, I mean, is that still true that, well, God is a just God. And each of us, we pay for our own sins. And all of us have them. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and, and, and fallen short. But do the, our sins, do they cost our kids, yeah, you see that, right? You, you, you see a man, for example, who's unfaithful and it ends up costing him his marriage. And does it cost the kids? Yeah, cost the kids. What about debt? We're, what, 20-something trillion dollars in debt now. That's a pretty big number, right? Who do you think's going to pay for all that? That's our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. Not us. <laughs> we, ran, we ran up the debt and we're going to, you know, kind of get off. But they're going to pay for it. Somebody's got to pay for it sometime. So we see that those, those generational kind of things, yeah, they can happen. We're impacted by the sins uh, of our parents. So these guys see that. They know that. They said, hey, I'm not crossing that line. God said this. We're going to follow God. We're going to stand up for God. So Daniel 3 verse 13 they bring them before the king then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought before him when they were brought in Nebuchadnezzar said to them is it true Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Hey, you think you serve another God? I'm God to you right now. I've got the power of life and death over you. What God is going to rescue you out of my hand? We'll have a little God contest here, right? So people are going to be, I mean, they're going to be angry Sometimes when you stand up, it's going to cause some powerful people even sometimes to be angry. I heard a story this week. A guy was saying that 
he was in charge of the bachelor party for his good buddy. And he, this guy was a believer and so was his buddy that was getting married. And he had a bunch of, of guys coming to the bachelor party. So this guy was trying to think, how can we not get into trouble like we always have before, you know, at the bachelor party. So he decided to rent a bus. Thought if I can just get everybody on the bus and we'll go fishing. We'll, we'll, we'll charter a boat. Well, on the way, they stopped at this restaurant. There was some alcohol and stuff involved, and some of the guys drink, overdrank a bit. And then when it came time to get back on the bus to go to the charter boat, some of them had actually met some girls, and they were inviting the girls to go fishing with them, right? And, and, and so he said as they were coming, and oh, some of these guys were married. So he said he was standing at the door and all of a sudden he's of the bus and he, all of a sudden he saw these ladies starting to come with these guys and he said he had a decision to make all of a sudden and he was like totally freaked out. But he said, I've been trying to live for God and so finally I just said, guys, not, not tonight, not tonight. He said some of those guys were so furious with him. He said he lost several friendships that very moment and they said come on man you're taking your faith way too far what is this what are you trying to do and he said but it's interesting others of them later came back and thanked him and said you know I began to think about my own marriage and my own life and and how I was living and 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 you, you you started me thinking and it's changed everything for me but he said that was one of the toughest moments in his life to stand up to his friends and go not today not tonight this is, this is going to be, it's going to be different. So what do we do when the world turns up the heat? When culture comes at us? What do we do when we know it's going to be like a counter the prevailing winds? Well, first off, number one, write this down. Don't worry about defending yourself. When you go to work, and the heat is on because you're a Christian and you're making a moral decision and you're saying, I know this isn't right and I'm not going to go that way. That doesn't mean that it's not going to cost you. That's not what the Bible says. It might cost you. It might cost you your job. But you don't have to defend yourself. You're in the middle of the fire. Let God be your firefighter. He's got a lot more water than you do, right? So let him defend you. Look what happens in Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. By the way, it's implied here, God doesn't need you to defend him either. You know, some of us, we take great offense. Oh, they're coming against God, and I'm going to defend. You know, and that's, I understand that, and I get that. But I think what God wants us to do for our culture more than anything else, we stand, and then... We kneel before God and pray, not before the idols of culture. God, turn us around. One of the things I've been praying for our nation, I've been saying, God, would you just give us 25 more years before the end comes? Give the church a chance, and then would you make the church strong so that we can step into this vacuum of morality and, and see you turn things around from the inside out. It's not politicians that are going to save us. It's only Jesus Christ on the inside of us, changing each of us and standing up for him. Another thing we have to do besides not defending ourselves is choose loyalty to God no matter what. 
Choose loyalty to God no matter what. I'm announcing my loyalty to God. They go on to say, we're not going to defend ourselves, but if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the Bible. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. That's pretty courageous. That, that's announcing their loyalty to God no matter what. You know, when we come into this fire, there's actually three different ways that God saves or delivers us. And I want you to write this down because this is really important. Sometimes God saves us from the crisis. This is the one I like, all right? This is the one I say, God, here's the one to do, right here. He saves us from the crisis and, and, and it's kind of like this divine detour. He gets us out of it. And, you know, like these guys could have been marked for execution and then they say this to the king and he goes, you know what, you're so right, I'm so wrong, you know? And, and it just would change everything. That didn't happen here. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. I mean, he doesn't take the problem away, but in the midst of it, he works in our lives. I think that this is almost more powerful to the world around us than when everything's going great. You know, so many of us, we, just all, we just talk about all the time God's favor on us. And I love, there is such a thing as God's favor on us. But let me tell you something. When everything's going great, the world says, well, sure you serve God. But when you're in the midst of crisis and you say, you know, even if God doesn't heal me, I'm going to stand for him. I, I, I've preached so many sermons, so many sermons at funerals of believers who stood strong through a long, bitter illness or a long, bitter fight with cancer. And I've seen the results of that. People are there and everybody at a funeral is thinking the same thing. Like, I don't know if I'm, I mean, what would I do if I was in that situation? We come face to face with our own mortality, but I've had so many come to me and say, I saw how he did it. I saw how she did it. I need that. I want to live that way. I, I want to have that kind of assurance at the end, that kind of confidence, joy even in the midst of that. So he saves you through the crisis. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. Have you ever known of anyone who was saying, I'm going this way, and then there's huge crisis? Can some of you, you're here this morning because crisis moved you, either some years ago or recently. And you went through a painful divorce, or, or you had some crisis personally in your life, and it brought you back to God. That can happen. In fact, it's interesting, the Bible says that it's going to happen to all of us a lot, probably. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 this, it may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. Did you get that? This, he's talking to believers. It may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. 
that could be like the best marriage advice that I could probably give you. That is marriage, right? Okay. It may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. And Laura and I were talking this morning with some friends about what we call the red firebird incident. I won't even get into that because I was right and she was so wrong. But that was so early in our marriage and I had this chance, you know, to get this great red firebird. But I forgot to mention that to her. And um, because it was such a good deal. And I was sad for a while. But the other side, it, see, what we do, we get sad, and I'm not going to be sad. I deserve to be, I mean, how many times have I heard people say, I deserve to be happy in this one and only life that I've got, and I am not living with him one more minute, her one more minute. But if you go to counseling, if you go through the hard things, so many times, not every time. You know, sometimes there's unfaithfulness, and it just, the other person's just not going to change. And Jesus said, there's Reason for divorce, unfaithfulness. You don't have to be more righteous than Jesus. But so many of the things, it's because we're not willing to be sad for a while. We've got to learn how to do that. It may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. And then you go through the hard stuff, through counseling and other things. And you find the sweetness on the other side like Laura and I have. And she said this morning that I was right about the red firebird. So don't talk to her about it. Um. It may be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of the many trials you suffer. Their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold which can be destroyed is tested by fire. And so your faith which is much more precious than gold must also be tested so that it may endure. Then you will receive praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why does God allow me to go through pain on this planet? This isn't heaven yet. Heaven No more sadness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. That's coming. But this is preschool. We're learning. We're growing. You know when you know that gold has been purified by fire and all the impurities are out of it? When you can see your reflection in it. And that's what God's doing. He's looking for his reflection in us. And he allows these things to burn up some of the stuff in us. So verse 19, let's go on. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. So obviously, they're not going to be saved from the crisis, right? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Why would he do that? I mean, why would he command? I mean, it doesn't take seven times hotter to kill a person, does it? In fact, I would have said, turn it way down and let them burn slow, you know? (laughs) Think about it, you know? Let's just sizzle them a little bit, you know? No, he was so upset, but I think also he was insecure that what if this God, if this is a God fight, what if this other God, what if there is something to this? So let's make sure, all right? And I have found that sometimes when people come against my Christian faith with a fury that is hardly explainable, some of them are on the verge of coming to Christ themselves. 
they've got questions, they're insecure. And and so they, you know, when an atheist or someone feels really secure in, in their, if you call it faith, I think it's always faith, right? Believe in something. Then they don't come against you like that. But when they come against you with that kind of fury, there's some insecurity there. And so it goes on. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Well, let's look at the benefits of trusting God in the fire. So they're thrown into the flames. The strong men that threw them in are killed because of the extreme heat. Number one, I want you to mark this down. God will walk through the fire with me. That's a big relief right there. You won't be alone. God's presence will be with you. Daniel chapter 3 verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. He didn't just look like a god, he was God. God was there with them in the fire. In fact, some of the last words of Jesus on this planet before he went up to heaven, he said in Matthew 28, 20, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm looking at the old world around us, when I look at the events in Washington, D.C., I'm thinking, are we coming to the end of the age? Well, I can tell you one encouraging thing. He'll be with us, no matter what happens. I saw something on one of the major networks this morning, and it was just talking about how divided we are and how we've come to think of each side thinks of the other side as evil now. And what is going to be the result of this? One nation divided, not under God, right? And I don't know, but I do know that if we will stand on God's word and his principles, he will be with us through whatever comes. He gave a promise in Isaiah chapter 43. He says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Did you notice he says, when you go, not if you, when. Number two, God will burn off everything tying me down. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unbound. Did you get that? See, they're all tied up, and now they're unbound. The fire had burned away the ties that bound them. They're not singed. We're going to find they don't smell of fire. I mean, I smell like smoke when I just cook burgers in the backyard, right? And, And they came out, they didn't smell of smoke at all. But he he burns off those things that hold us down and hold us back. 
Some of you are so afraid of what people think. And he's allowing you to go through a fire of people speaking evil about you even maybe. You know, if you're a pastor of a church, never Google yourself, right? And, and I've told you before, I was like, in the early days, I was, church was growing, and I said, I wonder what they're saying about the church and about me. And, and I, I looked it up, and, and it said, Mark Shook, the evil twin of Joel Blostein's cousin in the woodlands. That was one of my staff members, I think. But um, no, the, the thing is, it, it, it's like, God, that's not very nice. That hurts. I, I feel that. And God's going, it doesn't matter what people think. It only matters that you walk with me, that you follow me, that you do what's right with me. I have refined you, Isaiah 48 says, but not in the way silver is refined. I've refined you in the furnace of suffering. Number three. God will give me a new freedom. God will give me a new freedom. You're going to come out free. Freedom. And then number four, I love this one. God will use my obedience to bring others to himself. Look what it says. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. He didn't know it was God. He thought it was an angel. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. His servants who trusted him. Can I just close with this? Do you trust him? Do you Trust him. It's going to come out in the way that you live. He says, I want you to date like I've asked you to date. Does Jesus have your celibacy? You say, well, I've already blown that. You know, that's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah, you, you, you might not be a virgin anymore, but did you know that even the cells of your body, God does these amazing things. Your skin cells. The cells of your body, inner and outer, they renew themselves. That You're a whole different person every few years, every 30 days for most of your skin and most of yourself. Did you know that? Only your brain doesn't change. Your heart cells don't change. That's why you feel like the same old person, but you're not. I want you to date like I've asked you to date. I want you to treat sex the way I've asked you to treat it. I want you to love who I've asked you to love in the way that I've asked you to love. Some of us, I know this morning, I mean, we're living together and I'm not here to call you out. I just love you. But here's the thing. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
I want you to have it abundantly. I don't know why, but there's something about making that vow before God. I don't really care about before the state that much. Maybe you just need to call up this week and get one of the pastors just to meet you out by the little baptismal pool. We got some flowers out there. Get, get married. You can do that. If you want to have a big wedding some other time, great. But say that vow before God. There's something about that that matters. I don't understand it all. Some of you are going like, oh, I did that like three times. I'm not doing that anymore, you know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I know. Seriously, I know. I know. I've walked with so many of you, and I know it's like freaking you out. It's scary. As long as I don't make that commitment, everything seems to go good. But that's not, that's a lie. It, it, it's just that when you make that commitment, there's something inside of you that starts to, and you need to get some counseling. You need to walk through that. We want to walk through that with you. See, we're all in this thing together. We can do this together. But I want you to really step into it. You say, Jesus, you know, I, I, I really believe in you, but I know you can take me to heaven, but I don't, I, yeah, no, I don't think you can do this with marriage. Is that right? He's saying, well, get in the wheelbarrow and let me show you. Get in the wheelbarrow. And let me show you. Do it different this time. And let us start from the very beginning. Don't just say, hey, we want to get married and we're not going to work on any of my past stuff. Right? Any of our pastors this week will we'll, we'll marry you for free. Now, don't, have, don't start a big wedding thing. Okay? Don't start inviting everybody in and say we're going to have cake and beer. and You know, it, it just, I'm talking about just you, the two of you. Okay? And maybe one or two friends, and we'll just, right there. We can do it all week long. I'm, I'm good. Others are good. We can do that. What's it going to take for you to step in to what God has for you? Culture is going to come against us. The church is going to be sidelined in the near future in the United States. We've got to be ready. Because God says, I want you to live an abundant life. I have so much more for you. You say, well, it's pretty good right now. We're living together. God's got so much more, so much deeper, so much better. 